Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Today we're going to Exodus chapter 24, and we're going to the passage which is the foundation of the Old Covenant. When Jesus passed the cup in the upper room and he served the first communion, he took that cup, it was a Passover meal, and he took the fourth cup, the cup of redemption, and he passed it around the circle to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do you recall that? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, he was inaugurating a new covenant. Something new was about to take place in the shedding of his blood. Well, if there's a new covenant, there has to be an old covenant. Something has been replaced. Something has been changed by the inauguration of a new covenant. Today we're going to look at the old, and then we're going to look at the new. We're going to see what it all means, because as we do it, I think you will find your heart overflowing with thanksgiving to the Lord for what he passes to us, as he passes us today the cup of the new covenant. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you open our hearts to see with faith? We love your word, Lord. We would obey it and walk in its light. Grace us now and grace me to speak your word faithfully so we can hear it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Exodus chapter 24. Chapter 20 was the Ten Commandments where the Lord laid out those commandments. And then the ensuing chapters, chapter 21, 22, and 23, are what's called the Book of the Covenant. And they are the primary heart of the law of the Old Testament. They are the rules of this covenant. I'm going to explain to you in a minute what a covenant is. And so those chapters have been going through, it goes over, uh, you know, laws of immorality and the Sabbath feasts and personal injury laws and theft and dishonesty. All of this is laid out. And those, if you recall, those judges of a thousand and a hundred and fifties and tens, they would be using these laws in administrating the justice of Israel as a nation. Well, now this has been laid out, and here's what happens. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, that's Aaron's two oldest sons. They were going to be the high priest, and then they didn't last long. And 70 of the elders of Israel. And you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, But they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. What, if if, if this is the mountain I think it is in in, in Saudi Arabia, there is a bowl-like structure at the top, and Moses went up there with these elders, and the elders remained in the bowl area, but off to one side was where the cloud of glory was. And Moses alone went over and into the cloud of glory with the Lord. Verse 3, then Moses came and recounted to the people. He came back down the mountain, all of them, 
And he recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Why don't we say that? All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, he's referring to chapter 21, 22, and 23, all these ordinances that have been laid out there, and certainly chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. So he reads this to everybody, goes through it in detail, then the entire nation, two million people, I don't know how they relayed this so that they could all hear, but some structure was in place, and then they all say together in unison, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. That must have been a sound to hear. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. That's why we have them. And then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. So this altar has 12 legs underneath it, uh, symbolizing that 12 tribes of Israel are all part of this covenant that's being made. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, probably some from each tribe, and they offered burnt offerings, those are sacrifices for sin, and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings, that is the fellowship of covenant partners, to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Notice that, please. And he took the book of the covenant, the chapters 21, 22, and 23, and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. He would have taken some, uh, well, the, the priests went on to use a thing called hyssop, which is an herb like mint, and leaves and little branches, and it, he stuck it in there, and they, as they went by, he would sprinkle blood on each person. Now imagine sprinkling two million people. He would have had the forearm of a Hulk. I mean, <laughs> this is just a long process. I don't know how they did it. I, I mean, of course, I want to streamline it, you know, walk by and let it, I don't know. <laughs> he sprinkled it on the people, so they're all getting splashed with blood, and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, what is a covenant? We need to understand that. We do have covenants in, in modern life. Uh, marriage is one. We don't have a lot. We have business dealings and things like that. But a real covenant, an ancient Near Eastern covenant, was not something that just Israel did. It, all of the cultures of that area functioned with covenant. Covenant was the foundation of, of most relationship. Now let me define what a covenant is. A covenant is a solemn promise made between two parties which is enforced by a curse. You invoke the curse on yourself saying, if I break this covenant, may I be cursed and I'll tell you how, how vivid that curse becomes in one second. There is also the promise, generally, in that of blessings. So what you did when you wanted to have a covenant is you took some animal, 
or several animals generally, and you would kill the thing and cut it in half, laying the two gory, bleeding, oozing, gooey halves <laughs> on either side. It's meant to be that way. It's supposed to be gory and icky. And then the two partners who are going to enter into covenant stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and together they walk through between these parts. You see it described exactly in Genesis, I think, 17, isn't it, where, where God himself passed through. That's another thing with Abraham. And as you pass through the parts, here's what you need to get a hold of. You call upon yourself a curse or the potential of one. You say this, may this happen to me if I break this covenant. So when you talk about the blood of the covenant, you're not talking about the blood of the sacrifice. I'll explain that in a minute. It's a different statement that's being made. It, when a covenant was being made, the blood there is a threat. May violent death occur to you should you break this covenant. Pretty sobering, huh? I mean, not only did Israel do this, other cultures did it with their gods. I mean, they would have, so, so this was a, when, when this is taking place, everybody knows what this means. It's all, it's common cultural communication. They knew what was happening when this was taking place. And so here you have the Old Covenant. What I've read you today is the foundation of the Old Covenant. This is the law that keeps being talked about in the New Testament and the Old, for that matter. This is the law, the law of God. So when, we've, when we're talking about it, here is where it begins. This is the Old Covenant, which was replaced through Christ by a new covenant. Moses took the blood and put half of it in bowls and he took it and he sprinkled it on the people. And they willingly walked by and had that blood splattered on them. And what they were saying is, may this happen to me if I should break my covenant. They invoked upon themselves a curse. It's referred to as the curse of the law in the New Testament. They invoked upon themselves a curse that they should be destroyed if they would break their promise. Now, what happened to the other half of the blood? You notice where it went? It went on the altar. Now, the altar represents the Lord. He is the other covenant partner. And so the Lord himself was swearing, may I be destroyed should I break my promise to you. That would be what I would call one solid promise you can count on. God literally swore himself to his own destruction as he walked through the parts, as it were, with Israel into this covenant. I will bless you. I will lead you into a, the promised land. I will establish you and prosper you. I will protect you. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. I will be your God and you will be my people. I swear it. I swear it. There were other covenants, if you recall, in the Old Testament. This is not the only covenant. There was a covenant with Adam. There was a covenant with Noah. 
There was a covenant with Abraham. In fact, the covenant with Abraham is still powerfully in effect. The fact that you and I are blessed today is because we have, though most of us are Gentiles, we have been adopted in so that we now inherit the blessings of Abraham. We are adopted as though we are his physical children and the blessing is on us now. Blessed are those who bless us. Cursed are those who curse us. He will establish us. He will be our God. We are now, in God's eyes, the sons and daughters of Abraham, for we have in our hearts the faith of Abraham. We don't have his genetic material, most of us, but we have his faith, and so we are adopted children of this covenant. It is now your covenant as well. When a sacrifice was made in the Old Testament, they would take an animal and they would put their hand on its head and they would confess their sins over this animal, thus imparting that sin to this poor little beast. This is the mercy of God. This is the, this is the grace of God in the Old Testament. And God would allow that sin of theirs to be transferred over to the animal and then they would cut its throat and then the blood would be poured out and what was being said by the blood there is this should have happened to me but God has mercifully allowed this animal to die in my place that is when it says burnt offerings that's the meaning of burnt offerings I should die for my sin but God has mercifully allowed this animal to die in my place. Of course, animal blood doesn't forgive our sins. Uh, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But it was prophetically pointing forward to the substitution, to the coming of the Messiah who would die on our behalf. Let me just clarify something. Who were the two partners that walked through the, through the, through the halves, as it were, in this covenant right here on Mount Sinai. One was, well, Moses and actually, but all of his people, Moses and his people, Israel. You saw that? Everybody got splattered. Who's the other covenant partner? God. Now, this is, this is, this is the God who's there with them in the cloud and the fire. This is Yahweh. And who is that? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. It's the Son of God, the Logos, through whom God has always spoken to this planet. He is our communication. Now, keep this in mind. So two partners are walking through there, one the pre-incarnate Son of God, and the other Israel, swearing themselves, saying, so be it to me, should I break this covenant? Well, how, how did Israel do with their covenant? Boy, if I swore something like that, it'd sober me up for a while. And, and it did them. It lasted just over 40 days. I kid you not. 40 days later, Moses goes up on the mountain to pray. He is supernaturally sustained for 40 days and nights without food or water in the glory of the Lord. He, they decide he's dead. Nobody can last that long without food or water. 
and they make a golden calf which represented the sun god of Egypt from which they had come and said, this is our God who has led us out and had a, had a sexual orgy in front of it. Forty days later. I mean the covenant is dead on arrival. Now, they had just sworn themselves to destruction. What should God have done? <laughs> I mean, they, they should have been just fricasseed on the spot. In terms of just justice, they'd sworn themselves to this thing. They had absolutely overthrown their ruler, cast the God of, their, of, of Israel aside like trash, and, and said, we'll follow the sun God of Egypt. Thank you very much. What a disgusting betrayal of loyalty in just a matter of 40 days. So the covenant was, 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 was ruined already. Now let's have a look at the meaning of these covenants. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter eight? Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Toward the end. Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. And so it is a book which explains the New Testament truths in Jewish terms. Explaining to Jews, actually Jews who are thinking about leaving Christ. It's explaining to them why they cannot do so. I want to lay out for you a comparison, and I will just take you to some of the verses between the Old Covenant that we have just seen and the New Covenant. Let me tell you why we're going here. The Old Covenant is established on willpower and the, and the revealed will of God. People trying to do what they promised to do. Many zealous Christians, as we earnestly press in to be all that we can be in the Lord, become very frustrated with ourselves because it seems we never really reach the kind of Christ-likeness we would like to have. I'll amplify that more in a minute. What is happening to us when we go there and we fall under condemnation and shame is we move back from the new covenant to the old. And many Christians are operating mentally under an old covenant model, not the new covenant. And the bondage and the, comes back and the joy goes out of our walk. Our confidence in God is dissolved. That happens to all of us. It happens to me. And so we need to see this comparison. Chapter 10, verse 11 is where I'll start with the first one. I was going to read you. Well, no, I will read you. Let's go ahead and read it. Uh, eight, chapter 8, where I took you. Verse 6. He is comparing Jesus Christ as the, and showing that he is the fulfillment of the law in all of the Old Testament things. He is the high priest, the true high priest, etc., etc. And then he picks up at verse 6 and he says, Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for the second. 
In other words, if the old covenant had worked, we wouldn't need a new covenant. But it didn't. For finding fault with them, he says, and he now quotes from Jeremiah, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. By the way, would you notice who was this covenant formed with? Israel, right? Now, most of us are Gentiles. My ancestors, to my knowledge, weren't part of that covenant. Mine were running around chasing mastodons, painting our hands on cave walls. Org. That's, that's where my folks were. So I didn't invoke this curse on, my family didn't invoke this curse on themselves. They didn't know anything about it. Why then do I need all, why do I need Christ? Well, Paul explains that between Adam and Moses, there was no law, and yet death still reigned. You see, my ancestors and yours, most of ours, they violated their conscience left and right. Knowing what was right, knowing the existence of God, all of us have this intuitive knowledge. We flagrantly denied that and pursued things that we knew were wrong and blasphemous, even though we didn't have the written law, though we'd never made a covenant. And so in our lives, we, don't have, we, we didn't have the same thing as the curse of the law. Curse of the law is for Israel. But we had death reign over us. And I don't care how I die, I don't want to die. I want eternal life. So we didn't have eternal life, we were dying. But notice the difference. You'll see here. All right, so here we're talking to Israel. Behold, I'll give you a new covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, made it for 40 days. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. Now notice what the Lord says. I'm going to bring a new covenant and I'm going to do something in which I put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. They, no longer will it be an external written law, but ultimately I will, through inner promptings of conviction and guidance, through the love of God poured within them, they will choose and want to follow my ways. And they will be my people and I will be their God and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord. Virtually all of them will know me. By the way, we know that well, come, they will come when all Israel will believe. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. When he said a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. All right, now chapter 10, verse 11. Let's just, I'm gonna run down quickly some of the points of the new covenant and compare it to the new, of the old covenant and compare it to the new. Chapter 10, verse 11. In the old covenant, number one, there was repeated sacrifice. Imagine that. Every time you sinned, you had to keep killing these poor little animals. I mean, it was icky. Turtle doves if you were poor, lambs, goats, bulls if you were wealthy. But just over and over again, as you confess this thing's dying, all of this process. 
over and over again. Every priest, verse 11, stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. But in the new covenant, how many sacrifices are offered? But he, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? For all time. There will never be another sacrifice. One sacrifice for all time. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. God said, God's lifted him up now and has commanded all the universe to submit to his son and we're in the war process of that happening. Sooner or later, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Father has ordained it. There's no question who wins. There's no question where this all ends up. For by one offering he has perfected, brought to complete maturity for all time those who are sanctified. I mean, you could say wow to that if you want. You have been brought to completion by the one sacrifice for all time. You have been made righteous before God. Nothing more can be added. What a covenant. It's almost scary. It's so merciful. One sacrifice rather than repeated sacrifices. In the old covenant, it was animal blood that was offered. Well, can animal blood uh, forgive you? Well, of, of course not. Uh, chapter 9, verse 12. It says, not through the blood of bulls and goats, or goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In the old covenant, it was animal blood. Does animal blood have any power to forgive you? Of course not. It was prophetic symbolism saying that God would accept a substitution and someday would provide a sacrifice. Just as he did with Isaac, when Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. Remember, he was about to kill him and the Lord had a ram in the bushes. There's always this truth, I will provide the sacrifice. He didn't tell them until Isaiah, Isaiah did, that it would be a human being who took that sacrifice. The Messiah's blood, his life. Let me see if I can explain this. Two covenant partners passed through the halves, as it were, swearing, so be it to me, should I break this covenant? Well, Israel very quickly did. What's to do? Justice says, give them what they cursed themselves with. Slaughter them and destroy them. And yet God in his love and this is where it doesn't make sense. When we start talking about the love of God, it does not compute to us because we don't love like that. God in his love says, no. I want them for myself. So here's what happened. Who were the two covenant partners? Israel and? More, more specific? Jesus. 
So this covenant partner says, I know what I will do. Actually, the father decided this. I will become one of them. And instead of cursing the whole group of them, may the curse fall on me. And I will receive the curse for the entire people, all upon myself. Justice will be fulfilled. I am the just and the justifier. I am the one who had the right to kill, and I am the one who will bear the death. Justice is fulfilled while mercy is served. Galatians chapter 3, Paul explains this. I'm coming back to Hebrews, but let me just read that to you. Listen to this. For as many are, as, are of the works of the law, trying to, by willpower, keep all of these rules, are, of Israel, are under a curse. What curse? Sprinkle, sprinkle, so shall it be to me if I should break this covenant. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, However, the law is not of faith. It's of willpower trying to obey it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you now know what the curse of the law was? So be it to us if we should break this thing. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now he took the curse, he became the curse. The curse was the slaughter. Parts of animals cut in half, all the gore. And frankly, that's exactly what happened to our Lord. He became the slaughtered curse. Now again, when you begin to touch on this, it is virtually impossible, for, I think, for the human mind to comprehend this love. None of us would do such a thing. But this is, this is the holy God who loves with a love we'll never understand. In order that in Christ Jesus, now hang on, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to who? Shell's ancestors who are in the cave after hunting mastodons painting their hands on the ceiling. You and I, now included into the blessings of Abraham into this family, By faith in Christ alone. Now the gospel goes to all the world. And he says, take and make disciples of all the nations. Ta ethne, all the people groups. Go into all the world and tell them about me. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Repeated sacrifices, animal blood, sinful priests, and then chapter 10, verse 2, back in Hebrews. After all of that sacrificing, they were left with no inner assurance of forgiveness. Verse 2, otherwise... They would not have ceased to be offered all these sacrifices over and over again 
because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had the consciousness of sin. But they did. Even after killing these poor animals and going through this whole thing, in their hearts, there wasn't the sense of forgiveness and assurance of righteousness. It wasn't there. Chapter, or verse 15, chapter 10, verse 15. But you and I have a lasting assurance. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after that, and then he says, the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy, that I will write my laws on their heart and put them in their mind. The and he says, their sins they, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Where there's forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Then up in verse 22, we have been clean, cleansed from an evil conscience. You folks, in the new covenant, we have assurance of our salvation. In the new covenant, we know we're forgiven. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, crying out, Abba, Father, doesn't mean I don't know I sin. Doesn't mean I'm not aware that I'm not, I'm not, but I somehow deeply know I am forgiven. Do you know that? You see, when you have people say to you, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm forgiven. I hope God loves me. Boy, I hope his, you know, I hope, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm better than my brother-in-law. When, when they talk like that, they aren't. Folks, when they talk like that, they aren't. I'm not saying they aren't good people. I'm not saying, you know, they aren't sort of God-oriented, but they ain't there yet. Because new covenant people know. There is a witness of the Holy Spirit within us crying, Abba, Father. We are assured that we are sons and daughters of the living God by the Lord within us. We are not controlled by an external law. We love the word of God. But it isn't a matter of read this thing and, give, and, and, and through willpower and good resolutions try to obey it. We now have a brand new process. Chapter 8, verse 10. Well, pardon me, it's the same thing. He will put his laws in our heart. The spirit of God dwells within us now. Our process is is to walk in the Spirit, draw close to the Spirit, focus on the Lord. Sure, we read the, we read the Word, and we, but it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to live a new life. We are new covenant people. So let's, let's just rehearse this a minute. For us, there has been one sacrifice once for all time. For us, there's not animal blood there's the death of our Lord, the Messiah of Israel. The Lord who became one of the people and took the curse upon himself, that that curse would pass away. You can't undo a curse. The thing's been released. There's a, there's a power. There's something at work that can't simply be ignored. He took it on himself. So that we, including us Gentiles, who believe in him, would receive the blessings of Abraham. We would be adopted into the family of God. All of the promises and all of the blessings are ours equally with believing Israel. 
We are his people, and he is our God, just as though we were born as descendants of Abraham and Sarah. Messiah's, it was his blood. We have a sinless priest. He only needs to do it once. Lasting assurance in our hearts. We know that our conscience is clean. We know we belong to Christ. Led by the Spirit, not controlled by the flesh, with an internal law now written on our hearts. So let me read this, and then we're going to apply it. Earnest Christians are often their own worst critics. Pressing forward to be all God wants us to be usually leaves us frustrated with ourselves. No matter how hard we try, we never seem to pray enough, say amen, give enough, serve enough, love enough, forgive enough, read the Bible enough, etc., We do indeed grow in Christ. Old things pass away, area after area of our lives become new. But with each step closer to Christ, a brighter light shines on the unchristlike attitudes that still remain. <laughs> Seems like the closer you get, the more the stuff shows. You know, I got this handled, I got this handled, and I got this handled, and then I get proud. And if this cycle, this revelation, is not handled properly, it can drive us to a level of self-judgment in which we no longer allow ourselves to feel the love of God. We become so angry with ourselves, we're sure he must be angry as well. We won't permit ourselves to feel the joy of his love or the childlike faith that our lives are in his hands. When this shift occurs, what has happened is that we have left the new covenant and have unintentionally fallen back into the old. New covenant people are people like this. Listen, chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's the verse that converted Martin Luther, by the way. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after that saying, this covenant is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws on their heart and on their mind I will write them. And then he says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sins. We don't offer anymore. We don't replete this. We're not, Jesus isn't being sacrificed again. We are simply remembering the power of what he's done for us. Therefore, brethren, since we have 
confidence to enter the holy place. Now he pictures the tabernacle in the wilderness. And he says, you and I, and many of us Gentiles, can march right into that tabernacle of God and enter the holy place. That's the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Shekinah glory dwelt. We can march into the Shekinah glory, which the high priest could only go in once a year, covered with blood and with a rope on his foot, lest he get struck dead. You and I barge in by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. The veil is the veil that separated the Holy of Holies. And nobody went through that thing other besides the Ark of the Covenant. That veil's been ripped through the flesh of Christ and you and I march in to the Shekinah glory. Because you see, that's the ultimate gift of the new covenant. We now are people of the Spirit. People who live in the Shekinah glory. We don't visit it. We don't just see it in a cloud. But he dwells within us now. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart full, in full assurance of faith. Confident we're saved. Sure that we, our sins are forgiven. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, forgiven for all the specifics with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.